three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 382. Welcome in. Uh, football's back. Oh my goodness. It was such a good time. And I, there are words I want to say just like, yeah, holy fuck. Just so awesome. And uh, I had such a blast watching week one. I hope you did too. Now I want to remind people, I'm one man by myself, right? I write, I record, I edit the show entirely by myself. I cannot cover every single game from NFL week one. That's 16 football games. I guess one more tomorrow with Monday Night Football. I'm going to cover as much as I can. Whatever I don't cover today, I will cover on Tuesday. And whatever I don't cover on Tuesday, I will cover on Wednesday. I'm going to be recording all week, hopefully shorter episodes that are easier to watch and listen to. Now, I do want to start today with a thought. And it's a, it's a work in progress. I want to, I guess, invite critique and invite discussion and comments. And I want people to write in and comment on what I'm about to say because... For me, it's like a rough draft. What I'm about to tell you and the thought I'm going to share, I, I thought of it while I was watching week one. And it's, it's just it's – a, it's a work in progress. It's not a final draft. It's kind of like when a stand-up comedian gets up on stage and they're still working through their set and figuring out how to tell a joke properly and figuring out is it even a good idea? Like how do I tweak this word and tweak that word and how do I make it all work? So I just want to be clear. Like I'm, I'm inviting and hoping for people to write in and critique what I'm about to say next. But here's my thought. I've been focusing so heavily recently on which teams are great. Like, who collected a bunch of good players? You know, the Browns have this great offensive line, and the Colts are good up front, and the Buccaneers have a great front seven, and Washington's defensive line is incredible, and they got the three-headed monster in Tennessee with a running back Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and Julio Jones at receiver. And I've been focusing so heavily on rosters that I think I'm kind of I missed the forest through the trees. And so uh, I always, one critique of this show, and I, people always write in and say, you know, you, I talk so much about quarterbacks. And I, so I, and trying to combat that, I don't ever want to be the guy who never focuses on linemen or safeties or receivers or linebackers. Uh, and, and I, I want to also mention the people who help a quarterback win, because when a football team wins a game, it's not just a quarterback. Like all the credit often goes to quarterback. All the criticism also usually goes to a quarterback. But to me, it's a team game. I try to mention as many other people as I possibly can. But I think I've been focusing so hard on giving everyone else credit. I think I actually swung the pendulum too far back the other way. And so I, I watched NFL Week 1, and my main takeaway, do you know what it was? My main lesson from NFL Week 1 is that in this league, quarterbacks make all the difference. Here are the guys who won yesterday in the NFL. Joe Burrow won, had a great comeback win, beat the Minnesota Vikings. Patrick Mahomes won. Matthew Stafford won. Russell Wilson won. Justin Herbert won. He beat Washington, a good defense. Kyler Murray won. Guess who lost? Daniel Jones, Jared Goff, Andy Dalton, Kirk Cousins. I mean, Kansas City played Cleveland. And the Browns roster is loaded. They are full of talent. Now, their quarterback, in my opinion, jury is still out, although certainly he is not the same level of talent as Russell Wilson or, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes. He cannot extend plays the way that those guys can Baker Mayfield. But I'm still, like, not ready to commit to Baker Mayfield as a completely limited quarterback. But on the Browns' defensive line, they have two former number one overall picks, Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney. Now, in this game, 
Kansas City had three offensive linemen starting who had never taken an NFL snap before. You had center Creed Humphrey, a rookie, right guard Trey Smith, a rookie, right tackle Lucas Niang was drafted last year technically in 2020, but he opted out. So he has never played a snap either in the NFL. So you have Patrick Mahomes against a loaded Browns roster and a great defensive line. And his team, by the way, again, has three rookie offensive linemen. And what did Patrick Mahomes do? He made it work. And in my opinion, this is why Patrick Mahomes will be a Hall of Famer someday and why he's one of the best quarterbacks. And actually, I would argue, I think Patrick Mahomes is now, he already was, but today made it more clear. Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL by a lot. I watched this guy run around and extend plays and make crazy touchdown throws, rolling to his right, making throws other people wouldn't even dream of making and overcoming this offensive line with some weaknesses and pressure in his face all day. And that's incredible. Now, I look at the Colts team. I want to now shift gears to Seattle. Patrick Mahomes beat the Browns. Russell Wilson beat the Colts. And I look at the Colts roster. I don't want to debate too heavily between Seattle's roster and the Colts roster. But in my opinion, the Colts are a better football team. Got a great offensive line. Got a better front seven on defense. Now, sure, Indy was missing their left tackle, Eric Fisher, their corner, Eric Ro- uh, Xavier Rhodes. But Indy, just, you know, from a, a, a thousand feet up, Indy, in my opinion, is a better football team than the Seattle Seahawks. Now, that didn't matter to their quarterback, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson said, huh, I got to make this work. I got to figure it out. I want to win. And, and my point is, Russell Wilson beat a better football team, the Indianapolis Colts. And Patrick Mahomes beat a really good loaded Cleveland Browns team with a struggling offensive line and a really good defensive line he was playing against. These are two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson. And if you want to win with those guys, all you got to do is get your team good enough, make it close, and then they will do the work from there. They will elevate your football team and you will win. And then I encourage you, go look at the scores from week one of the NFL season. It's unbelievable. Uh, the, there's an outlier, the Falcons game. I think Matt Ryan's a great quarterback. I haven't watched the game yet. Jalen Hurts, I heard, played really, really well. Is Jalen Hurts a better quarterback than Matt Ryan? I don't know the answer to it. It's possible. I think the the Broncos-Giants game, I think Teddy Bridgewater is better than Daniel Jones, but that's another one that's close. Same with Sam Darnold and Zach Wilson. But if you look across the board at the NFL, the better quarterback won this week in every single game. It's unbelievable. You're like, wow. If If you said, hey, which team has a better quarterback? That team won every single time this week in the NFL. And so I, I, I just, I, I think sometimes I overcomplicate it. I, I, I talk about, I go deep in the weeds about this guy and that guy. It's like, whoa, whoa, is the quarterback good enough to elevate his team? Like sometimes that's the question you have to ask. And that's the only question you have to ask. And, and I would ask yourself, if you're, if you're a, a football fan and you have a favorite team, then ask yourself, can my team's quarterback elevate my team because I watched Joe Burrow just elevate the Cincinnati Bengals they beat Minnesota in overtime Russell Wilson did it Patrick Mahomes did it Tyler Murray had five touchdowns against Tennessee when is Daniel Jones ever thrown for four and ran for one and dominated another football team I've never seen that from Daniel Jones and I'm still waiting and that's why Aaron Rodgers has been so hard for me I don't hate the guy I think people think I don't like Aaron Rodgers. No, I actually, recently, Aaron's demeanor, the things he's saying, the way he's carrying himself, he went to Hawaii, he's enjoying his life, he's married. Like 
Aaron to me is really growing on me. But in spite of my new affection for Aaron, I still hate when people make excuses for the guy. The Packers just lost 38 to 3. And Aaron looked bad. He didn't just throw two interceptions. He threw two really ugly interceptions. One in a double coverage. One was in the red zone. He was 15 for 28 passing. He couldn't escape pressure. He kept plays alive. He tried, but he couldn't. He couldn't create big plays downfield. I watched Patrick Mahomes run around, escape sacks, keep plays alive, throw the ball downfield, make big plays over and over and over again. Aaron couldn't do that. And then I watched Russell Wilson do it. And I watched Kyler Murray do it. And I'm like, man, huh. Aaron couldn't do that. Like, Aaron isn't capable of making that kind of play. And then it's crazy to me. I I can't believe when people say, well, all Aaron needs is a good receiver. You know, Aaron, the Packers just need to draft Aaron Rodgers, a receiver in the first round. Well, uh, I don't know if you watched the Packers game today. I did. Did you know that basically every receiver that played for Jameis Winston within the world of Saints today went undrafted? The only receiver the Saints had on their roster today that was drafted was Ty Montgomery. In fact, weirdly enough, the Green Bay Packers drafted him. He had one catch for five yards. The guys who had touchdowns, undrafted. <laughs> so, so tell me again how Aaron Rodgers really, really needs a first-round receiver in order for him to be successful. Because Jameis Winston figured it out. <laughs> like, you, you know excuses. Jameis Winston's going to get run out of the league if he doesn't do well. He threw five touchdowns today. He figured it out. Patrick Mahomes says, I want to win. I don't care if my offensive line has got a bunch of rookies. We're going to figure it out. I'm not calling Aaron Rodgers bad. Here's all I'm asking for. When Aaron Rodgers shows up on a Sunday, has two interceptions, looks terrible, loses 38 to three, and looks horrible. I need people to stop making excuses. I need people to stop saying, it's this, it's that, it's the other thing. He didn't elevate his football team. Look, Patrick Mahomes, if he wanted to make excuses, he could have, but he didn't. Russell Wilson, he made it work. He beat Indy. And I know I bounced around a lot in this topic, and I'm just kind of trying to get my thoughts out. But my point is this. if In the NFL, if you want to win, your quarterback needs to elevate your football team. And if you're on a good team, then don't make excuses. Aaron Rodgers went to two straight NFC title games and lost on a good football team with Devontae Adams, a great receiver, and a good offensive line, and a good defense, and he lost. And Aaron did not elevate his team in either of those NFC title games. In fact, his defense picked off Tom Brady three times last year, and I'm still hanging on to that. I'm like, man, what? Okay. And then Aaron played badly week one against New Orleans. And still nobody wants to blame him. I'm like, at what point is it the definition of insanity where we see all these other quarterbacks around the league elevated in their team, making play after play, winning with receivers that are undrafted or rookie offensive linemen? Like, I don't care what you throw at Aaron this week. It's like, what's the, what's the excuse? He played like crap. That's the only thing you can say. In the NFL, Great quarterbacks are expected to elevate their football team. That is how it works. Especially Hall of Fame quarterbacks. So I look at Aaron Rodgers today. He's looking really, really bad. And I just, I got a couple of conclusions if you want. I think if your quarterback sucks, move on. Once you realize, hey, the guy we have isn't capable of elevating my football team to victories, 
move on. I'm a big Formula One fan. Uh, and Formula One, uh, first of all, I think drivers in F1 and quarterbacks have a lot of similarities. There are such, there are so few seats. Seats are limited, right? There's a very few NFL quarterbacks in the world, and there's very few Formula One drivers in the world. And Mercedes F1 recently made a move where they, they got rid of their veteran guy, Valtteri Botas, and brought in George Russell, a young guy. And why did they do that? Because they realized, hey, Valtteri Botas has limited potential. And if we need to depend on him to win a title, we're not sure that we can. George Russell, sky's the limit. We need to have a guy who we think can win a title. Once you realize the guy we have is limited, you got to move on. Same with NFL quarterbacks. The other lesson you can take home is if you have a Hall of Fame quarterback, you got to keep them accountable. If your guy, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, isn't elevating your team to victory, call him out on it. Like, don't coddle Aaron Rodgers. It drives me nuts. Excuse after excuse after excuse. I, I'm going crazy with it. And so that's my advice. If your quarterback can't elevate your team, move on. And if you have a Hall of Fame quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, again, hold the guy accountable. Okay, let's dig a little bit deeper into, F, uh, into, geez, into NFL Week 1. Week 1 of the NFL season, the New Orleans Saints beat the Green Bay Packers 38-3. to And New Orleans Saints starting quarterback Jameis Winston was the story of the day around the league, in my opinion. He was, he, first of all, he had five touchdown passes. And how many interceptions? Zero, a big goose egg. Oh my goodness. Jameis Winston looked really, really good. And, oh, I was so happy for the guy. Yes, finally, Jameis, yes. And there was one key play. It was a big play where Jameis had all the time in the world to throw the football. And nobody was open downfield. Now, in the past, I think he would have forced the ball into double coverage. And it, in the past, likely would have been an interception. But instead, Jameis just threw the ball away, threw the ball out of bounds, lived to see another down. And sometimes the best throws you can make are the ones that you don't make. Yesterday, we saw a calculated and patient Jameis Winston. I really believe that working with head coach Sean Payton in New Orleans is making him a better quarterback. And I love to see that, man. The potential here in New Orleans is unbelievable. Like what he can do. I mean, Jameis adds an element to this football team and this offense that Drew Brees just couldn't do last year. Jameis had a, he launched a deep ball 55 yards to Deontay Harris for a long touchdown. I'm like, hey, I don't, I don't think I saw Drew Brees do that one time last year. Jameis throwing five touchdowns is even crazier when you realize this fact. Most of the receivers that he was throwing to against Green Bay were undrafted. Only one receiver on the Saints active roster against Green Bay was drafted. By the way, it was kind of weird. It was Ty Montgomery who got drafted by the Green Bay Packers. He only caught one pass for five yards. Every other guy was brought in as an undrafted free agent. The point is that Jameis Winston did that. And, you know, five touchdown passes against a, you know, <laughs> the Packers won their division, went to the NFC title game last year. Jameis had five touchdown passes with, you know, basically undrafted receivers and didn't even have his best guy. Right now, Michael Thomas, their best receiver, is out with an injury. He's coming back at some point. I feel really good and really excited about Jameis Winston. So, I, I mean, I, I, now, another thing that's impressive about the Saints season opener is when you realize that the city was just decimated by Hurricane Irma. 
the team currently is operating out of Dallas. They're living in hotel rooms. Their families are out of school, and you know they all got moved. That's another big story here is overcoming adversity. It kind of reminds me a bit of when the Saints uh, were kind of trying to recover, and the city of New Orleans was trying to recover from Hurricane Katrina. And the Saints had a good year uplifting that city. And I would love to see history repeat itself as New Orleans is trying to recover from Hurricane Irma. It would be so cool if the Saints had a great year and had a deep playoff run. to be like, oh, that would be wonderful to see. Now, we got to talk about the Green Bay Packers. Oh, boy, it was a rough game uh, for them. They, they lost 38-3. to Aaron Rodgers, their quarterback, was straight up bad. He had two really ugly interceptions. He was 15 for 28 passing. Uh, one interception was in the red zone. The other interception was into double coverage vertically downfield. And he had constant pressure on his face. Receivers couldn't get open. He couldn't extend plays. And my question to this game, after watching them lose to New Orleans, is how is Aaron going to respond? This loss, in my opinion, is going to test his patience. And so far, Aaron has handled things really, really well. But can that keep up? Can that persist? The Packers had two rookie starting offensive linemen in this game. Left tackle David Bakhtiari is out. He's injured. Elgton Jenkins had to move from guard to left tackle. He's a good guard. Left tackle, okay, but you still have a weakness with... Someone criticized me. They're like, you're, someone said I'm, I'm calling out Elgton Jenkins by saying, you know, they need David Bakhtiari back. No, what I'm saying is they need to not have rookies starting on their offensive line. You want your best offensive line out there. Having Elgton Jenkins at guard and David Bakhtiari at left tackle is the best form of this Green Bay Packers offensive line can take. And I really hope for Packers fans sake that David Bakhtiari comes back before week seven when they play Washington. He's got a great defensive line. This offensive line could cause problems. I mean, two rookies not having their best foot forward. They play week three at the 49ers and then week four against Pittsburgh. Those teams are both really good up front. This offensive line could cause problems. It could be rough in the near future for Green Bay. And this game was ugly. They ran for only 43 yards. And it's so funny to me. They fired their defensive coordinator last year, Mike Pettin. You know, oh, we're going to fix our defense. We're going to fire Mike Pettin. Still gave up 38 points in week one. <laughs> That's brutal. Now, we did get to see Jordan Love play a little bit uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, he's the Packers' backup. He's a former first-round pick. And we think he's the next guy that eventually will replace Aaron Rodgers. He went five for seven in the fourth quarter. Uh, it, look, it's, you can't really judge the game. Like, it would be crazy to say he's better than Aaron Rodgers or something because he had a little bit more success in the fourth quarter. What I will say, what's interesting about Jordan Love is that his footwork is exactly the same as Aaron Rodgers. It's unbelievable how similar they look, like the way they catch a snap, the way they take their drop. It makes sense. It's just kind of encouraging. Like, oh, Jordan Love has been taking notes. He's been learning from Aaron Rodgers very, very clearly. Now, the last thing I want to say about the Packers is this. I, I found a tweet. Uh, obviously on Twitter. You find tweets only on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Benjamin Solak said this. He said, Aaron Rodgers returning to Green Bay just to sabotage their season is a tremendous conspiracy theory that I am willing to spread. Oh, <laughs> I love that thought. Like, what if Aaron just came back to spite them and say, oh, you're, you're going to make me play here? I'm going to play terrible. That, of course, that's not what's going to happen. He's not going to sacrifice his own career and he wouldn't do that, but it, he wouldn't self-sabotage. But I just, that's a funny thought to me. Like, oh, they, I'm sure everyone thought it. Like, oh, Aaron came back, and he's going he's gonna to throw the Packers into oblivion by playing terrible. I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting, fun thought. I'm curious where the Packers go on from here. Um, you know, again, I, I wonder about adversity. Can Aaron Rodgers 
stay positive and happy-go-lucky. He's had a great attitude all year. Will that continue? If the offensive line struggles, receivers can't get open, and they have problems, and you know they show dysfunction on film. All right, guys, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, uh, we will talk about Kansas City against Cleveland, and then at the end of the show, we will talk about five notable headlines from NFL Week 1. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Let's now jump into the second game I watched this weekend. It was a phenomenal game. The Chiefs just beat the Browns 33-29, to and it was a great game. The crowd in Kansas City was phenomenal. I didn't realize how much I missed having like really passionate, fun, excited live crowds in the NFL. It was like a sea of red chanting, oh, oh, like, oh, dude, I, I love that. Even through the TV, it's just so like cool to hear. And I, I really, really miss that side of the NFL. Now, I want to start today by giving credit to Kansas City's quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. He was put in a tough spot yesterday. Basically, they had three rookie offensive linemen starting. They had center Creed Humphrey, right guard Trey Smith, and then right tackle uh, Lucas Niang was actually drafted last year in 2020, but he opted out. So the result was that Kansas City had three starting offensive linemen who had never played a down in the NFL before. And they were playing against the Cleveland Browns. The Browns have a really, really good defensive line. Two former number one overall picks, Jadavian Clowney and the headline guy, Miles Garrett, who's a fantastic defensive end. And they got pressure on Patrick Mahomes early and often. They got, he was running around for his life. Now, the key was they could not bring him down. And I cannot understate the impact of having Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. He's the best quarterback in the NFL by a mile. His ability to extend plays and survive with a bad offensive line is just ridiculous to me. I think I often don't give him enough credit, actually. And he makes throws that other guys wouldn't even attempt. I mean, again, in my, in my predictions for Kansas City, <laughs> I talked about how I'm concerned about their offensive line, as if I totally, and I think I did, I can't believe I forgot how good Patrick Mahomes is at extending plays. And that is what sets him apart from everybody else. It's the incredible throws. It's the, you know, the, all, all the stuff he does, sure. But it's really what most impresses me about Patrick Mahomes is his ability to win even with a disadvantage on the offensive line. Now, I want to give a shout-out to Cleveland, uh, their head coach, Kevin Stefanski, in particular. The attitude from the Cleveland Browns from the get-go in this game was aggressive, and I really, really, really liked that. They were going forward on fourth down multiple times, uh, just punching Kansas City in the mouth. They had a, a play where, first of all, they scored a touchdown, and then they lined up to go for a two-point conversion, and they just ran the ball up the middle from a goal-line set, and you're like, Oh, wow, that's a, you know, you ever heard of BDE where you're like, hey, I know what I have here. I'm going to challenge you. And that's what they have. They just said, we are going to beat you up front. And that's what they did. And in my opinion, if you're going to go on the road against Kansas City, in Kansas City, you have to take risks. You have to go for it on fourth down. You cannot settle for field goals. And I really loved the approach the Browns took with this game, saying we are going to go balls to the wall, pedal to the metal, keep our foot on the gas, and go play after play after play, just going everything we have, fourth down, we don't care, we're not settling for field goals. In my opinion, that is how you beat Kansas City. Teams too often, the Baltimore Ravens are a, an example of this in recent years where they don't go for it on fourth down, they kick field goals, and I'm like, do you not understand you're playing Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes? You have to take risks if you want to beat them. They did that, that was awesome. Now, there was an incident in this game 
that drove me nuts. And I was watching going, first of all, I, I really like Jim Nance and Tony Romo, the broadcasters. I think their interpretation of the situation was totally wrong. Uh, Brown safety, Ronnie Harrison Jr. got ejected. And it was crap, if you ask me. Like, what happened was just completely wrong as far as players are concerned. So Ronnie Harrison made a tackle on the sideline. And him and the player he tackled were kind of tangled up in each other. And Ronnie Harrison goes to step up and, you know, kind of walk away. And he slips and kind of trips and lands on the guy. It, I get how from afar you could see like, it looked like he stepped on him. But he wasn't purposely stepping on him. You could clearly see he kind of lost his footing and fell over on the guy and put a foot down. And that was something that a Chiefs coach did not like at all. He took offense to that and got all mad. And he pushed Ronnie Harrison, a coach, pushed an NFL player. And then Ronnie Harrison, heat of the moment, pushes the guy back. So a Kansas City coach pushed a player and the player pushed him back. And Ronnie Harrison, the player, got ejected for that. By the way, the coach did not, which is crazy to me. If you want to punish Ronnie Harrison, fine. But at least get rid of the coach, too. you got to toss both people minimum. But what I really think really should have happened is nothing. Like, why do we have to punish people? Why do, why do we have to eject a player for pushing a coach? It's a, it's a quick moment. It's heat of the moment. Two guys are really, really aggressive in the moment. A lot of testosterone going on. I would have just said, hey, here's a warning. Don't do it again. But what's even more crazy is he's a good player. Ronnie Harrison Jr. is a starting safety for the Cleveland Browns. So you can't eject a starting safety from a game. That's a, that's a big impact on your football game. But number two, why is a coach for Kansas City putting their hands on a Browns player at all? Like, do you, that, that, do you understand how wrong that is? Do, do players need to now worry about having coaches push them around on the sideline? Of course the guy, Ronnie Harrison Jr., the player, got up and reacted strongly and pushed him back. Like, his heart rate is up. He's literally a heat-seeking missile on defense trying to hit people, trying to make plays. How do you turn that off instantaneously and have clear state of mind to go, oh, I'm doing, I'm in the middle of a physical act. Did that coach just push me? I shouldn't push him back. The fact that Ronnie Harrison got kicked out, I understand. Like, normally I'm a guy who's like, yes, happy, you can't make that kind of mistake. But it's like, where is the accountability for the coach? It's so wrong to me that Ronnie Harrison got punished. The other team didn't, and it hurt the Cleveland Browns. Their starting safety was out of the game. Really weird to me. I think ejecting him was kind of soft for the NFL, actually especially since the coach started it. Like Ronnie Harrison Jr., what did he really do? He, got, he tried to get out of a tangle. He slipped, took a, a false step, landed on a Kansas City Chiefs player, and then he gets pushed. And of course he's mad about that. So I thought it was total hogwash. I'm like, what are you talking about? Kicking him out of the game? Totally wrong. So the Browns lost their starting safety. By the way, their backup, Grant Delpit, was also inactive. So Cleveland ended up with a third-string safety in this game because of this dumb incident that it's like, Again, I just the thing I can't get over is coaches should not be allowed to push players. Like, how, how wrong is that? And then he gets just so crazy to me. Now, uh, they lost their starting safety, Ronnie Harrison, got kicked out of the game. Their left tackle, Jedrick Wills, hurt his left ankle. He left the game early. Also, Odell Beckham Jr. did not play. Odell Beckham Jr., their star receiver. He tried out his knee in pregame warm-ups. He's recovering from an ACL tear. He didn't feel right. He didn't play. I think that's the right move for Cleveland. Uh, it's better for him to come back in you know, next week or week three or week four. Down the road, whenever he comes back, I would rather, if, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, it's better for your football team that he comes back when he's totally healthy. If I'm the coach of the Browns, I'm looking at it this way, like, uh, it's better to have OBJ back and healthy 
then try to rush him back and hurt him again or re-injure him or not put him out the right way. So I think what they did there, the way they managed OBJ was really, really good. Still, though, you look at Cleveland in this game now against Kansas City on the road. They're down a safety Ronnie Harrison, a left tackle Jedrick Wills, and a receiver Odell Beckham Jr. Not good. Like, you can't lose three starters and expect to beat Kansas City on the road. So I think, personally, the Browns could win a rematch. Now, as it went, uh, they handed a late lead to Kansas City. It's pretty wild. In a matter of, like, three minutes, I think it was three minutes and six seconds to uh, the T, you had a Kansas City touchdown, a one-play drive. Mahomes extends a play, launches it deep, beats the safety. You know, <laughs> Tyree Kill scores a touchdown. You're like, oh, my goodness, that's unbelievable. And then Cleveland goes three and out. They're punting. Punter's on his own 15-yard line, drops the snap. You're like, oh, no. And so it gave Kansas City the ball down two points <laughs> on the 15-yard on the line. You're like, man, wow, way to hand Kansas City an advantage right there. And it, just the game changed so quickly. In a matter of three minutes, Kansas City scored two touchdowns, took a lead. Now, Cleveland had a shot to win. They had the ball uh, down four points with two minutes and 49 seconds left. Now, context matters here because the Browns had a chance to win the game. Baker Mayfield could have had the game-winning drive, and I understand that. And a lot of people will not listen to context and say, Baker threw a pick at the end of the game on their, you know, quote, chance to win the game drive. But let's be clear about this interception Baker Mayfield threw. Baker Mayfield throws an interception, costs him the game. He was moving in the pocket, trying to keep the play alive, trying to avoid a sack. And ultimately, I think he's trying to throw the ball away. He throws the ball to the sideline. He doesn't get enough on it. He's getting hit as he throws. And he just didn't get enough on the ball. And the ball did not get, uh, did not get all the way out of bounds. Got picked off. And again, everyone, it's unfortunate, is going to remember this interception and blame Baker. Oh, Baker threw a pick at the end of the game. They lost. And people are going to forget I think how good Baker played all game. He had a play early in the game where he's rolling left, flipped his hips, launched it vertically or launched it across the field to the right. You're like, man, he looks really good. And I thought Baker played fantastic all game. And what's really sad about this interception that kind of sealed the game for the Browns is that he didn't even make a bad decision. Like on paper, if you're a quarterback coach, normally trying to throw the ball away is a good and safe move. You would go, hey, Avoid the sack, throw the ball away, great move. He just couldn't, he's getting hit as he threw, he couldn't get enough on it, got picked off. It's so unfortunate, and what's really sad is that people are going to remember it without the context of how it happened. It's like, oh, no. And all year, people are going to say, well, Baker threw the game-ending interception against Kansas City and didn't have a touchdown pass. It's like, well, <laughs> they, they're, they got the ball. They had long, like, nine-play drives over and over again. They ran the ball for four touchdowns. Uh, but Baker threw for like 300 and something yards. Like he had a great game, and it's sad that people are going to remember it, in my opinion, the wrong way. So honestly, to me, this game validated what I already believed about the Cleveland Browns, which is that they're really good. Uh, they had a late lead on the road in Kansas City. And I, I think Browns fans should feel encouraged where, like, don't forget how bad things were three or four years ago. Like, Browns fans are not people who can complain about, oh, we lost to Kansas City. Like, no, no, shut your mouth. Crocodile tears for me. Like, be happy you're winning at all. And this year is going to be really, really good. Now, even though this is a tough loss, let's not pretend the Browns season is over. Cleveland is likely going to need to go to Kansas City again later this year, probably in the playoffs at some point. And winning a game like this in Kansas City is so rare 
And if anything, this could actually help them down the road where the sting of this loss to KC could sit like a reminder for next time where it kind of reminds me when the Giants in 2007 lost to the New England Patriots week 17 and then later down the road replayed them in a rematch and beat them in the Super Bowl. I think we could see something similar like that happen with the Browns here. And I just don't think that I walk away from this game going, hey, Patrick Mahomes is phenomenal. The Browns, I thought, got kind of screwed over with their safety, Ronnie Harrison. They're missing a couple starters. Now, Casey's weak on the offensive line as well. I'm not trying to make excuses either way. Like, you're never going to get a perfect game wherever the stars all align. But Baker had a really good game. Unfortunate stuff happened trying to throw the ball away. And the headline to me is the Browns had the lead in the fourth quarter on the road at Kansas City. And that's a lot of progress to me. And I, I think that the year is going to go very well for Cleveland. And hopefully I would love to see a rematch between these two football teams because that sounds like a lot of fun to me. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break when I return. Uh, we'll do five notable storylines from week one of the NFL and then talk about college football. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Um, dude, it's been a really messy recording session. Uh, I, I a couple times got going and was like 20 minutes into the show and it wasn't recording. And it's like, dude, it's midnight. I'm tired. I'm, I've been sleeping like three to four hours every single night. It's been a really... The push to get predictions done and get ready for week one has been insane. So I'm going to sleep really, really well tonight. Uh, and I, I hope that the content's good. I've been working my ass off. Like I, I was talking to my fiance this morning about it. And <laughs> it sounds really, really maybe douchey or full of myself. It's not. Like I've been working so hard. And I, I would actually <laughs> – can I say this? I will. I think I'm the hardest working person in the state of Hawaii. Like I don't, I'm just like, I'm working like a New Yorker. People in New York work their asses off. I'm doing that kind of work. People here are very like slow, easygoing, go to the beach. I haven't swam in like four days. I've just been going and going and going and going and going. And uh, this last topic right now is kind of the last tail end of the marathon for NFL week one. And then I can take my time tomorrow. And really uh, I got a, a couple of fun topics about the giants and how I re redraft stuff and, get to watch more football. So this is the, what you're getting me right now is me at 12, 18 in the morning, midnight. And really uh, just kind of at, at the very last angle of my sanity. Uh, I want to talk about this because something happened in week one. Not something. There were five things that happened. There were five notable things I saw during NFL week one. Things that caught my eye I want to talk about. Number one was Russell Wilson and Seattle. Uh, they beat the Colts 28-16. to 16. <sighs> Oh, guys. Oh, man. I might have underestimated how much Russell Wilson can elevate Seattle, which is funny. Like, I always say how underappreciated, underappreciated I believe Russell Wilson is. I always say, like, hey, Russ does not get the respect he deserves. And then I didn't follow my own rationale. And my prediction, I had them going, you know, 6-11 and 11 and him not being able to elevate his football team. Uh, like, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback what we saw week one against indianapolis was him elevating his football team i have this ingrained image in my head of him launching that deep touchdown pass to tyler lockett and going yeah like he was so happy and he rallied his troops and gosh man uh i don't know i think my my seattle seahawks 2021 nfl season prediction might end up being one of my legendary like legendarily wrong moments akin to the pre-draft video and 
uh, take on Justin Herbert. Like it might be one of those moments that lives in infamy and people always give me crap for, and that's fine. Uh, you win some, you lose some. If you make as much content as I do, you're going to strike out sometimes. And I think I, I'm starting, like, I'm not going to give in yet. Uh, I won't fully admit I was wrong until week eight or nine. I want to get all the information. We'll see how things go. But I'm already sweating really, really hard on my prediction. I'm like, oh, man. I mean, I, I did literally acknowledge during the topic. I'm like, I ended up on this conclusion. I know I'm alone on this island. I, I must be crazy. I tried to acknowledge that during the topic. And gosh, people have been so mean to me. I, whatever, man. I, I made a prediction. It looks like I'm probably wrong. And uh, I don't know. I had to acknowledge that. I, I really uh, I had fun watching Russell Wilson today. Now, I, I do think it's interesting. The Colts did not have their corner. Xavier Rhodes, their left tackle, didn't play. Uh, there was a play where Jamal Adams had a sack off the edge. It got called back, actually, because Jamal Adams is offsides. But he ran right by their backup left tackle in Indy. And I'm like, dude, they need Eric Fisher really, really badly. Let's hope Eric Fisher can play. So I'm not making excuses. The Colts, or sorry, the Seahawks were great. Russell Wilson was fantastic. But uh, I really do wish that Xavier Rhodes, a great corner, and at least not great, but a starting corner for Indy. And I wish their left tackle, Eric Fisher, would have played in that game. Now, thing number two that I saw, I saw the Giants lost to Denver. I didn't watch the game. I watched the highlights to watch Teddy Bridgewater, see if he looked okay. But I want to acknowledge, I only looked at the box score of this game, and then I watched the highlights. So I'm going to sit down tomorrow, watch the game in full between Denver and New York. But I got to say, man, I am so glad the Giants got Saquon Barkley back because I, where else would they have been able to find somebody to carry the ball 10 times for 26 yards? I'm like, it's not like they could have drafted a running back in the third round that could have made a big impact. No, no, no. They had to draft Saquon Barkley, number two overall. Didn't we see the impact of Saquon Barkley yesterday? Come on. Linemen win games, dude. It's unbelievable to me how people don't understand without a good offensive line, a star running back is useless. I'm not denying the talent Saquon Barkley has, but that pick, I look back and Saquon Barkley was the wrong move because he's been hurt. <laughs> he can't carry a team like he needs a good offensive line and the Giants don't have that. So um, kind of fun, fun snarkiness that like really 10 carries, 26 yards. We'll see how the year goes. But right now I'm like, I nailed my Giants prediction. Now, number three, Teddy Bridgewater. I uh, haven't watched the game. Watched the highlights to get a feel of how he played. But my friends say he played really well. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, his stat line is 28 for 36, 255 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, a goose egg. And the Giants have a pretty solid defense. So I want people to open their mind, open your heart, leave it open in your heart for the possibility that magic could happen. We have seen... Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl, and Jimmy Garoppolo led his team to a Super Bowl. Jared Goff led his team to a Super Bowl. Like, didn't win, but they got to one. Bad quarterbacks or average quarterbacks get to Super Bowls actually quite frequently. Look at Jared Goff. Look at Peyton Manning in his final year. Uh, Peyton Manning, that final year with, with the uh, Broncos when he won a Super Bowl, Peyton Manning was not prime Peyton Manning at all. And Nick Foles won a Super Bowl with a great football team. Like, we see bad or average quarterbacks get to and sometimes even win Super Bowls. So... The dream stays alive for Teddy Bridgewater, in my opinion. He could win a Super Bowl in Denver because the roster there, I, I just have so much respect for the way that football team is built. And I go, look, Teddy Bridgewater could pull it off. He could win a Super Bowl. Say I'm on drugs. Say all the mean comments you want. I don't really care. Their roster is loaded. And Teddy, if he is good and consistent and plays the way he did, I saw a little bit of the tape. I haven't watched all of it. I watched a couple highlights. That's it. But I was like, that's a good throw. That's a good throw. Teddy looks in command. Like, I'll watch that game tomorrow, but I feel, I don't feel great, 
but it's definitely on the table that Teddy could have like a magical year and run the table and they could win a Super Bowl in Denver. Number four, Matthew Stafford had a monster game on Sunday Night Football. So fun to watch. Um, he is really going to elevate the L.A. Rams football team. The gap between Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford is unbelievable. And people, I think, tonight was an example of people starting to realize that, oh, wow, all right. <laughs> Matthew Stafford's fantastic. He was 20 for 26, 321 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. I think he's going to have, have a big game next week as well on the road at Indy. Uh, Indianapolis has uh, a weakness at corner, so... Man, people just do not realize how fantastic Matthew Stafford is. I have him uh, making the Rams a Super Bowl contender. And I think we saw evidence of that week one Sunday Night Football against the Chicago Bears. He was fantastic. Uh, now, notable story number five. The Texans beat the Jaguars 37-21. to Trevor Lawrence had three interceptions. It was an ugly game. I predicted Houston would win. And, and now, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of worried, actually, I over dramatized it. I'm like, oh, this is their best chance. They might eke out a victory against Jacksonville. Well, they won convincingly, and now I'm like, well, they are a veteran team, and Tyrod Taylor's not awful, and oh, what if the Houston Texans win, like, five games this year, and I end up like that. My prediction, 1-16, in 16 could be way off, actually, if they win, like, four or five games, and I actually don't think it's good for them. Like, I don't really understand what Houston's doing. I, I, I would love to sit down with the decision makers in Houston to try to pick their brains and understand what they're they're, they're not tanking, clearly, because of the people they've brought in. And I heard one theory that maybe they're trying to build their – like someone commented on that video. I think they're trying to build their culture. That makes sense to me. But Houston's endlessly fascinating, if you ask me. Now, the Jaguars confirmed all of my concerns. Trevor Lawrence, three interceptions. It was ugly. Uh, and, and there are five key games for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Houston week one, which they lost. And then week four at Cincinnati. Week 12 against Atlanta, who lost horribly to Philadelphia. Week 15, Houston again, and then week 16 at the Jets. Those are five bad or rebuilding football teams that I think that's how I'm going to judge the Jaguar season. How do they play against other teams that are on their level, bad and rebuilding? So far, the Jags are 0-1 in their winnable games against bad football teams, and that was not a great start. <laughs> so uh, I think all of my concerns where I said, hey, Trevor Lawrence I'm worried about and Urban Meyer – and everybody pushed back and was so angry and uh, vitriol, just throwing anger and vitriol at me all, all offseason. Anytime I dared to question Trevor Lawrence, I hope that that was the first time that some of those people that were so mean to me were like, uh-oh, <laughs> this, like, this may not be perfect. We might have the wrong coach. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to figure it out, and uh, we'll give them time. I'm not going to condemn Jacksonville yet, but at the end of the year, it'll be fun. Like, how do they do? In those five winnable games, we will find out down the road. Okay, uh, Saturday in college football, number 12, Oregon, beat number three, Ohio State. I had to talk about this a little bit. I, I think I might watch the game. Uh, I watched some of it. I skipped around. I want to like watch it in detail later in the week if I can find time. Uh, Oregon actually led this game 28-14. to 14. They won 35-28. to 28. It's a cool story, but what stands out to me about this game and why it's worth talking about, in my opinion, is that the college football playoff is expanding, and one criticism people have is you know, don't let all you know, don't let twelve football teams into the college football playoff. You're going to ruin it. And people say like, hey, the number twelve team in the nation cannot possibly be competitive with a top team in college football. 
uh, what? <laughs> we, we just saw evidence that that's wrong. And I've even argued and, and, you know, against expanding the college football playoff for that reason. I think I was wrong because we saw pretty clearly number 12 Oregon was more than competitive <laughs> with number three Ohio State. And the fact that that's even possible makes me go, yeah, we need to expand the college football playoff right away. Because the thought of having a college football playoff and a couple upsets where a really good team that's number 12 or number 10 or number 8 in the nation knocks off a top-ranked team, that sounds amazing. I want that to happen. And so Oregon gave me hope that if the college football playoff does expand, it's not just going to be a nightmare every year. We're going to get a couple upsets. It's going to be fun. Something akin to Boise State beating Oklahoma with the hook and ladder. So uh, that was a really, really cool victory for Oregon. So we just got evidence that upsets can happen between number 12 and number three. Uh, now, number 15, Texas lost at Arkansas. <laughs> yes. Oh, it made me so happy. Uh, they lost 40 to 21 and Texas fans have been running their mouth. Oh, blah, 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 blah. we're so good. We're going to the SEC. Like, cause Texas is going to the SEC eventually. And uh, they, they played their first SEC team and got, manhandled it was so fun to watch and i don't i don't hate texas or anything but uh it's fun to watch people who talk a lot of trash get fed a knuckle sandwich and uh i mean what what's funny is arkansas is a weak sec team like they are not a good sec team so what's going to happen when texas has to play georgia and florida and god forbid alabama i mean like it'll be gloriously fun to watch a cocky texas program joined the SEC, and I think really, really struggle. So just, I, I thought that was fun. I had to mention it from college football. Uh, guys, that's all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. It is 12.30 in the morning. So I am going to, it's when I tried to, on the show, say like yesterday, because for me, it, it does feel like yesterday where I took like a, I took like a 20 minute shower, which is basically a nap. And then I got to work on the show. I watched football, took a nap for like, and not even a nap. I guess I took a shower, which is it, like, I take a cold shower, it resets your day for me. So that feels like a whole lifetime ago. Uh, it's been a long day watching football. Football started at 7 a.m. here. It's midnight now. I love you. I appreciate you. I love doing my show. I, I, I hope that my, my sarcasm and my, my fun and my – I try to share the journey. Like I work my fucking butt off, and I hope that comes through. But I also hope it's clear that I love my job. Like it's so much fun for me. I just want people to know like I don't just sit down and talk. I, I prepare really hard. I have notes. I have all kinds of work. I watch a ton of football, and I research, and – I just don't want people to take that work for granted either. So let me tell you, I, it was a long day of work. It's been a long couple days uh, and, and weeks and months. Like, But now that I'm moving, I, I'm fully settled in Hawaii. We're here. The move is totally over. Football season is here. Uh, Going to sleep tonight for the first time uh, more than four hours in a row consecutively for the first time in a couple of days. That'll be great. And then I'm going to settle into a rhythm, and I'm really excited for this year. Uh, trying to work on my sleep schedule, trying to do better. Anyway, I'm rambling now. I love you. I appreciate you. Enjoy the show. I will see you tomorrow. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.